0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمد ونصلي على رسول الكريم معاً الله بن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنهما أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال: ما حقم رأي مسلم له شيء يوصي فيه يبيت ليلتين إلا ووصيته مكتوبة عنده متفق عليه هذا لفظ البخاري وفي رواية لمسلم يبيت ثلاث قال ابن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنهما ما مرت علي منذ سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال ذلك الا just to recap the chapter we are currently discussing Imam Nawi, rahimahullah, has given in the heading Dhikrul Mawt Wa Qisar Al-Amal The chapter which deals with constantly reminding ourselves of being cognizant or aware of our mort and our death and the curtailing of aspirations in this world Under this chapter, Imam Nawi, rahimahullah, has brought this hadith the narrator is Abdullah bin Umar radiyallahu ta'ala The subject matter of this hadith is extremely important because this is an area or an aspect of our lives that unfortunately many, many of us are very, very negligent. Abdullah bin Umar radiyallahu ta'ala narrates that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, "Ma حَقْكُمْ im Muslim." This will translate it, As none of you has a right, it will not be permissible for any Muslim who has anything, any wealth with him, with regards to which he has to make some sort of wasiyat or bequest. And two nights pass, except that his wasiyat, that his will, maktubatun indahu, is recorded and written down with him. In the riwayat of, That is the riwayat which is in Bukhari Sharif. In the riwayat of Muslim Sharif, it is mentioned that Rasulullah وسلم said that three nights pass, in other words, 72 hours, and a person has sufficient wealth with him with regards to which he has to make a wasiyat or a bequest or a will. He allows three nights to pass and he has not recorded that will. Allah Zalassoum Zalassoum said ma muslim this will not be permissible in other words you're given a very short period of time and it is extremely important that your wasiat or your bequest or your will be recorded Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah who is the narrator of the hadith he mentions about his personal practice he said ma marrat alayya laylatun not a single night did I allow to pass Upon myself, from the time that I heard these words from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa except that my bequest or except that my will was recorded with me. In this hadith, there are many, many important aspects. As I mentioned, this is one area or one avenue in our lives and unfortunately we are very, very negligent when it comes to the distribution of the wealth of the Mayit or the deceased what we have to understand first and foremost is that when a person passes away then automatically upon the death of that individual or the demise of that individual the ownership of his wealth immediately passes over to his heirs one is what we have or what we refer to as the Quranic heirs where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, particularly in the, in, in Surah Nisa, Allah ta'ala in great detail, يُسِيكُمُ الله في اولادكم للذكر مثل حذر الْأُنْثَيَنِ where two entire ruku's are devoted to the distribution or to the allotment of who the heirs are, what share the wife receives, what share the children receive, etc what share the parents receive. This is not something that is left to us. But in wahi, in revelation, we are informed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already decided the distribution of one's wealth. ulema i karam say that this ownership passes over immediately. The, person, the moment the person passes away, immediately the ownership of his wealth passes over to his Quranic heirs. This is not something that we can determine or we can decide amongst ourselves that I want to leave my wife so much, I want to leave my children so much. But this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already has decided. And we find a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam indicating that if a person... He, 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 he be the driver, it immediately. Brothers, as we heard, the car that's blocking the driver, whoever is the owner, please try and remove that car. G- Said it quite loudly. In any case, coming back to what we were discussing, when it comes to this ownership passing over to such an extent, Allama kiram have written. There's one example that is given in the books of Fiqh that there was one person. They raised this masala, that somebody said to his wife that if her father was very very her father was very very ill. And the husband for whatever reason was not giving his wife permission to go and visit her extremely ill father. So he got into a into a josh and he went to this extent and he said, I take an oath on Allah that if you go if you leave if you enter the house of your father, if you enter the house of your father then three talaks. Ulamaikaram in order to illustrate that we have absolutely no say whatsoever in the ownership of our wealth on our, on our, on our death. They give this masla as an example. And this woman, obviously, she made sabhar. Her father was very, very sick. He was terminally ill. One side, the husband is insisting that you're not allowed to visit your I'm not giving you permission to go visit your father. And he's made it, got to a state where he made this a dictate that if you enter the house of your father, if you enter the house of your father, three taraqs. She made sabr and made sabr and made sabr finally she couldn't make sabar anymore. Obviously her father is on his deathbed. So in absolute desperation she leaves her house. But by the time she reaches the house of her father he had passed away. And then she enters the house after he had passed away. So this masla ulama ikram mentioned in the books of fiqh that the talaqs will not fall. Because what, what he said that if you enter the house of your father three talaqs, because he had passed away, Ulama say, on his death, immediately the house no longer belongs to him. The ownership has passed over to his heirs. So in reality, the house that she entered was not the house of her father, was the house of whoever his heirs are. And yet, if you put this on one side, and we'll put just, just two weeks ago one person approached me, and like that, we find, if you look amongst our contemporary ulama, this is almost a daily masla that is coming delaying the distribution of the wealth of the deceased. And like I mentioned before we were distracted earlier, to such an extent that ulama mentioned that if a person himself while he is alive is negligent in this regard, Allah protected, this can actually lead to azab in the qabr for that person for not having taken the necessary steps to ensure that his wealth is distributed correctly. And this is a haq upon the deceased. Our love for our family members when the person passes away, those that are the surviving heirs of that person, it is important upon them. This is not something that we should be delaying. Unfortunately, sometimes many, many generations pass, 20, 30 years pass, and we find that the wealth of a person who passed away was not properly distributed. We know being in an islamic country, there are there's estate duties and there's all sorts of legalities involved. Unfortunately, we use these legalities many, very often to create unnecessary delays in the distribution of the wealth of a deceased. This goes completely against the grain of what is taught to us in Quran and Hadith. Coming back to what we were mentioning, that we find that although it's not directly linked with this, generally when it comes to our financial matters, Generally, when it comes to our financial matters, the overriding principle amongst majority of us is that we tend to be very, very negligent about recording things. Generally, the attitude, mashallah, the astute businessman likes to work silently, he likes to work under cloak and dagger style. And We find that when it comes to our affairs also, there isn't this transparency. And yet, if you ask somebody, what is the longest verse in the Qur'an? What is the longest verse in the Qur'an? Sometimes people say, Ayatul Kursi. Ayatul Kursi is not the longest verse in the Qur'an. Ayatul Kursi is what we call, A'adhamu ayatin fil Qur'an. It is the most auspicious verse in the Qur'an. The longest verse in the Qur'an is, Ya amanu, ila Musamman faktubu adl. It is a verse in Surah Baqarah, towards the end part of Surah Baqarah, there is one verse in the Qur'an which ulama say is the longest atwalu ayatan the Qur'an. It is the longest verse in the Qur'an. And in it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the believers, Ya اِيُّهَا الَّذِينَ amanu, O you who believe. We find that by introducing this verse in this manner, Ya Ladina Amanu, Allah Taala is not addressing the Ahle Kitab, Allah is not addressing humanity, but Allah is addressing the people of Iman. And what is the subject matter of this verse? Like I said, it's the longest verse, so we're not going to go into the translation. But the opening part of this verse, the reason I'm mentioning is that, unfortunately, if the Ummah had to practice just on this one verse, if the Ummah had to practice just on this one verse, very often I mention this then 99% of the financial disputes that take place will fall away. And what does Allah Ta'ala say in this verse? <laughs> Allah Ta'ala says, when you enter into a financial transaction, in your financial affairs, your dealings, whatever you are doing, your business deals, when you enter into a business deal, into a financial transaction for a prescribed period, فَكْتُبُوا, write it down, record it. وَلْيَكْتُبْ بَيْنَكُمْ كَاتِبُمْ بِالْعَدَلِ And let there be witnesses, and let it be recorded, written down, and there must be witnesses to it. Person passes away, brothers, are not talking to brothers, Blood relatives are not talking to blood relatives. Behind it is what? Ambiguity with regards to the distribution of his heirs. People don't know who this thing actually belongs to, what is the details behind it, etc. Disputes that are brought to ulama-i kiram, disputes that are taking place in court, majority of it, what? What is behind it? The, The deal happened some times ago. Now there is an argument over how the distribution should be. What is the Percentage of the profit, etc. Now, behind all these disputes is what there was not transparency. It wasn't recorded. Now, if beforehand you have a witness who writes it down, it is recorded. Then there is absolutely no need for these type of disputes to take place. And when it comes to our financial affairs, this ulama ikram they say muamalat and muasharat. Muamalat and muasharat. One is financial dealings, and the other is social dealings. They say. When it comes to our deen and our Sharia, this is like the hole in the bucket. A man can be going in tabligh for years and years. He can be performing Hajj and Umrah. He can be doing sitting in a khanaq for, for for a long time. Person can be acquiring the knowledge of deen, engaging in Allah's zikr, engaging in all sorts of ibadat. But they say all that ibadat that he is doing, if his financial dealings and his social dealings are not correct, the manner in which he does business. Or the manner in which he interacts with his fellow human beings, if this is not correct, they say the example is like the hole in the bucket. You keep filling the bucket with water, all the naki, all the good deeds that you are doing. And on the other hand, Allah's Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one day he asked the Sahaba al-Kiram, manil muflis. He asked the Sahaba, oh my Sahaba, tell me, who's the bankrupt person in my ummah? Who's the bankrupt person in my ummah? Allah's Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Sahaba responded, man la adirham, la They said, Ya Rasulullah, it is that person who doesn't have dirham and doesn't have possessions in this world. He is the bankrupt person of your ummah. Allah Rasulullah said, that is not the bankrupt man of my ummah, that is your understanding. Inna al-muflisa min ummati. Who is the bankrupt person of my ummah is that person. Ya'ati yawm al-qiyamah. He will come before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bi salatin wa zakatin. He will come with a lot of salah, a lot of zakat, a lot of nakis, a lot of pious deeds. Man may have been going in Tabligh for years and years, in the path, going in the path of Allah, doing all sorts of nakis, etc. هَذَا هَذَا but, he ate up the wealth of someone. He used to swear at someone. He insulted someone. He made ghibat about someone. He hurt the feelings of someone. Spread malicious rumors about somebody else. That day, what is the currency? That day the currency is not rands and dollars. That day there's no lawyers and there's no litigation you can do and there's no smoke screen you can put up to get yourself out of all the claims of all these plaintiffs that have lined up. That day the currency will be your neki. That day the currency will be the amal of deen that you did. As the Sheikh Maha Zakaria Rahmatullahi in his Kitab Al-Hajj he writes that to pay back, to pay back one penny one penny that you have wrongly usurped of somebody, you will have to pay back with seven hundred accepted salah. Person on the day of judgment, for one penny that he ate up of somebody's, you will have to pay back with seven hundred accepted salah. He says, Do we even have seven hundred accepted salah? That day the currency will be the neki, the amal. Abdullah bin Mubarak Rahimullah used to say, Great muhaddith, great scholar, he would say that I prefer. I prefer paying back one dinar one dinar of somebody's that I owe a debt somebody has a haq over me I prefer paying back that one dinar than giving 600,000 dinar in charity why? because that is an, a farz an obligatory injunction upon you somebody else's haq has to be paid back so on that day Rasulullah wasallam says all these plaintiffs will be lined up now this person, all his nakis, all his good deeds will be used to pay back all the haq and all the demands that are taking place. Till eventually, all his deeds are finished. Now what will happen? Now what will happen is that the gunas of those people, the plaintiffs that have lined up, the gunas, the sins that they that they had committed will be placed in his book of deeds as payment for the wrongs that he had done against them, financial obligations that he had not fulfilled, or, like I said, social obligations he had not fulfilled. Swore somebody, spread malicious rumors about somebody, made ghebat about somebody. And all this, all day evil deeds will be put on this person until Allah's alaihi wasallam says, this person will be thrown into Jahannam. In other words, tahajjud guzar, tahajjud guzar, person who fasted every day, Person who lived a life of absolute abstinence, never committed zina, never drank sharab, is now suffering in Jahannam because of the zina of somebody else, and because of the sharab of somebody else, and because of the haram of somebody else, he is suffering in Jahannam. Why? Because he did not, was not meticulous with regards to his financial dealings and his social interaction. And we find that Rasulullah ﷺ said, "This person is the bankrupt person of my ummah." So this is something that we cannot. Possibly overemphasize the importance and respected brothers like Salah and like Zikrullah and like Tilawat of Quran and like fasting etc. is an ibadat. It's something for which we will be rewarded. Carrying out our business in an Islamic manner is also an ibadat. Doing business in the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, this is also ibadat. And not ibadat, great ibadat. Atajiru al-sadduqu al-ameen maan siddiqin wa-shuhada The said that businessman of my ummah who is meticulously honest and who is amanadar and trustworthy, Allah will raise him with the anbiya, Allah will raise him with the siddiqin, Allah will raise him with the shuhada on the Day of Judgment. So this is something that is extremely important. It's also ibadah, it's also part of our deen, that we are very, very meticulous and careful. And coming back to what we were mentioning earlier, like I said, 99% of the disputes will fall away if we record things. If there is transparency, this cloak and dagger style of doing business is not something that Islam encourages. In fact, it goes against the very grain of what Islam encourages. Coming back to this hadith of Rasulullah it is obvious why Imam Nawawi rahimahullah mentions this in this particular chapter, dhikrul mawt. Understand that mawt is a reality. Moth is something that is facing us, staring us in the face. We've entered into a new Islamic year. We saw on the social media groups, left, right and center, hundreds if not thousands of messages. Muharram has come. This is the dua. Allahumma bil amni wal iman. Sometimes positive messages go around. But in any case, this is also a wake-up call for us. Allah has given you a new year. We have gone one year closer to our qabr. We have gone one year closer to the time when we have to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we find that these milestones by which the movement of time is measured, this is also a wake-up call for us, that our life in this world is transient, it's a passing phase. So we have to be prepared, we have to be ready, we have to make our tayari. This constant reminder has to be there. So coming back to the, this is why Imam Nawawi rahimahullah has mentioned this particular hadith in this chapter, where Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam says that if you have some wealth, if you have some wealth about which there is wasiyat. Now when we talk of wasiyat, a bequest, ulama say that up to one third, up to one third of what you own, you are allowed to make a bequest. In other words, some fidya, some fitra, etc. Some financial obligation that was upon you, which has to do with your Islamic affairs, must write it down, that this has to be discharged, etc. Your debts, etc. have to be discharged. And over and above that, from whatever you own, one third you can decide to give to some mosque or to leave behind for some relatives of yours that are not Quranic heirs. The one is what we call Quranic heirs, person's wife, person's children, parents, etc., blood relatives. These are what fall under what we call Quranic heirs. Their shares are already determined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already decided. You have levity in one third of whatever you own that you can decide to distribute that or leave a wasiyat or bequest. But that has that wasiyat or bequest has to be for people that are not direct heirs. A person can't decide that amongst my I got two sons and one makes a lot of khidmat of me, looks after me He's my favorite, so I'm, dis- I'm going to decide that from the one-third that is in my control, I'm going to give to that son. He's not allowed to do that. We are not allowed to make wasiyat for Quranic heirs. We are only allowed to make wasiyat for those that don't fall within what we call the Quranic heirs. So when it comes to this hadith of Rasulullah wasallam, when Nabi wasallam says, wasiyyatuhu maktubatun indahu that his wasiyat, his bequest has to be recorded with him. Ulama say, wasiyat is of three types. One is what we call wasiatun wajiba, that which is compulsory that you record it. That which is compulsory. Example, if you owe somebody money, it should not be that a person passes away and now we find creditors, we find people standing up and saying that, you know what, this person owes me money, etc. And now everybody is looking, family members are looking at each other, there is no record of it. So it, and then it leads to disputes, arguments, etc. So if some, there is some financial obligation, if you are owing somebody anything, record it down, write it down. If somebody has left some amanat with you, somebody's amanat, somebody's trust is with you, it is important that you record this. So that so this is that type of recording which ulama says is wajib, is compulsory. Have it recorded. Otherwise, unfortunately, if these things are not recorded, It can lead to a situation where you make zulam upon somebody, where you usurp the right of somebody. Then they say there is what we call wasiyat or bequest which is mubah, which is permissible. That is within one third of one's estate. When a person passes away, the first thing that is discharged is the debt. If he owes anybody, that has to be discharged. Any wajib, any compulsory obligation upon his wealth, that is discharged first. Then the wealth is divided up to one-third we will look at what wasiyat or what bequest he made like I said the second type of wasiyat is permissible wasiyat what is permissible wasiyat is where you leave behind for people that are not Quranic heirs up to one-third of the estate Now, when it comes to this making wasiyat for one-third of the estate we find this is the maximum many of us have this misunderstanding that up to one, that I must make wasiat for one-third. No, you don't have to make wasiat. That is something that you can decide if you want to up to one-third of your wealth to distribute it to non-Quranic heirs, to distribute it to a masjid, etc. But that is the maximum. The actual advice of Sharia Shari'at is that less than that, less than one-third. Why? Because of the hadith of Rasulullah wasallam, When the Prophet ﷺ said, the Prophet ﷺ said to Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu where sa'd bin abi waqas radiyallahu ta'ala anhu thought that he was he was sick he thought that he was going to pass away he didn't pass away in that sickness in fact it was the prophecy of nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam at that time nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam prophesied some great conquest of islam which ulama say was actually the conquest of egypt which is going to happen at that time sa'd bin abi waqas was the leader of the islamic army he was sick And he thought that he's going to pass away. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that you are not going to pass away in this illness. But Allah has already decided that you will lead the Islamic army in some great victory. That referred to the victory of over Egypt, etc. But coming back to the subject matter, at that time, he asked Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam what should we do with his wealth. So his his desire was to give all his wealth away. Give his wealth away to the poor, etc. But Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam advised him that the words of the hadith actually, in the latter part of the hadith, Rasulullah ﷺ said, إِنَّكَ in تَذَرْ min alatan alnas." That you leave your heirs, your family people, you leave them behind financially independent. If you leave enough wealth for them to be financially independent, this is better for you. So that they don't have to stretch their hands out to others. And Nabi mentioned to saad. A thuluth, up to one-third you've got permission to make wasiyat, wa thuluthu kathir, but one-third is too much. In other words, the actual advice of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم is make wasiyat for less than one-third. It was the practice of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa kana Abu Bakrin radiallahu ta'ala anhu ousa bi khumusi ma'lihi wa qala ardha bima radiallahu ta'ala li nafsihi al khumus. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu made wasiyat for one-fifth. One-fifth of his estate he only made wasiyat. And he said that, I am happy with what Allah decided for himself. Because, فَإِنَّ لِلَّهِ خُمُسَهُ When it comes to mahali spoils of war, one-fifth is distributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, given to the poor, etc. When it comes to that distribution. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala, using that as his example, or his yardstick, he made wasiyat for up to one-fifth. So, ulama say, you can make wasiyat up to quarter of your wealth. Or even up to one-fifth is better than making for quarter. And they say the maximum is up to one-third. What the psychology behind that is, is that try and leave your heirs in a position where they are financially independent. Do not deprive them. So up to one-third person can make wasiyat. Like we said, one is wasiyat which is compulsory, then there is that wasiyat or bequest which is permissible for non-Quranic heirs, etc. Then there is that wasiyat and bequest which ulama says is haram, is completely forbidden. What is that wasiyat where you make wasiyat for Quranic heirs? Person decides to give one son a bigger share than the other son, etc. This is not allowed in Shariat. And important to mention, in this is deprivation or depriving our daughters, our sisters, etc. The masturat of their shares when it comes to inheritance. This is something in many parts of the world and amongst us also, unfortunately... The masturat are deprived when it comes to the financial share or the whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided in their share is supposed to be distributed to them. We are supposed to be very very careful and meticulous in this regard. In fact one of our kabirin mentions that while studying in Raiwin once he brought from his from the farm etc a bottle of honey which he presented to one of our Kabir in Ravine, He said, this is hadiyah. He was a student in madrasa at that time. So, one said to him that, you know what, uh, from where did you get this? So, he said, no, this is from my, from our farm which belongs to our father, my father, etc. So, he said, I can't accept it. So, he asked, why you can't accept it? Because that time, there was a vogue. It was in practice that the sisters or the masturat used to be deprived of their shares in the estate of the deceased so he said there is a possibility in fact it's a likelihood that your father had deprived his female relatives of their share in the estate so that haram aspect of wealth probably entered into the earnings so I can't accept this hadiyah so he said that no he explained it away and he said the situation was such fortunately for him he told Maharaj Jamshir Sahab that, you know what, my father didn't have any sisters. So, please, Hazar, accept this. So he said, Maharaj Jamshir said, what about your grandfather? So He said, no, even my grandfather didn't have any sisters. So then reluctantly, Maharaj accepted it. But we see in the lives of our Kabirin how meticulous and careful they were in this regard. So we have to be very, very conscious that the Masthurat, etc. should not be deprived of their share when it comes to the distribution of the Mayyat's wealth when he passes away. I mentioned in the beginning the example of that person who gave, gave his wife talaq conditionally. The reason I mentioned that is that because we find this has become very, very com- common amongst us, the delaying of the distribution of the wealth of the deceased. This is something that should not be delayed. In any case, quite a bit of time has passed. Coming back to the subject matter of the hadith, Abdullah bin Umar ta'ala numa says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that if you have anything... <coughs> about which that you, you should be making wasiyat bequest, whether it is compulsory, in other words, somebody's amanat that's with you, a debt that you have to discharge, etc. Or whether it is permissible wasiyat, whatever type of wasiyat it is, if you have surplus wealth with you, two nights should not pass. Two nights should not pass. إِلَّا وَوَسِيَتُهُ مَكْتُوبَةٌ عِنْدَهُ Except that you record and write down. And ulama say, go to the extent that when it comes to our will, etc., We find in the latter part of this hadith, Maktubatun Indahu. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, have it written down. The fact that it says Maktuba recorded, you don't have to record it yourself. Somebody, you can get somebody to record it for you. Sometimes even even employing a lawyer, etc., there's no problem with that. But when it comes to our financial affairs, everything should be above board and clear. Indahu, in the hadith, Indahu recorded by him. A lot of times a person passes away, they can't find the will. A lot of times somebody says, you know what, my father or late father, we mentioned something or we wrote something down but I can't find the thing, it's not signed, etc. So all, if you look at the wording of the hadith, all this has been covered. Not only should there be witnesses, it should be recorded, there should be witnesses and it should be kept in such a place that the will cannot be tampered with. It should be kept in such a place where it is secure, it should be kept in such a place that when the person passes away we don't have to start looking for it everybody knows where it is it's in a secure place this is what is averred by the words in the hadith maktubatun indahu recorded by him in a safe and a secure place and we find that very very important the latter part of the hadith waqan ibn umar the narrator of the hadith abdullah bin umar ta'ala says that from the time from the time that I heard these words from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa I didn't allow one night, I didn't allow one night to pass, and there was something by me except that I had it recorded. In other words, Sahaba were comp- always conscious of the time of their, mort, of their death. The same Abdullah bin Umar in the previous hadith, he said, إِذَا أَصْبَحْتَ فَلَا If it's morning, don't expect to live till night time. If it's night time, don't expect to live till the next morning. In other words, don't delay. When it comes to our affairs of preparation for akhirat, our mort, etc., do not delay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us proof.